0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This
2: episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com.
1: Okay, well, welcome to HRN On Tour. It's our first annual Catskills Field Day. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, and today we are broadcasting from Bovina, New York. We are in the midst of a fun-filled weekend featuring our mushroom foraging adventure with Erwin Carl of Catskill Fungi, and uh, we also this morning had a hog butchery demo over at Brushland. We're heading back over there later tonight for dinner. There's still a few tickets left at HeritageRadioNetwork.org/slash Catskills. Today, right at this very moment, we are sitting at the idyllic Putt Putt Van Winkle, where we are having a barbecue lunch by the smoke joint from Livingston Manor. We'll be back here tomorrow morning for a pancake breakfast with the wonderful Amy Halloran, who will be up next doing some interviews after me today. So you can listen to all of our interviews on our podcast, Heritage Radio Network, on tour. You can find it at heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. I have one other regional PSA before I introduce our guest officially. So before we dive in, we want to celebrate and support the homeless cats and dogs at heart of the Catskills Humane Society. It's their 20th annual Woofs and Wags Dog Walk is coming up in person on the beautiful shelter grounds at 40, 466 10 State Highway 10 in Delhi on Saturday, September 10th. This year's festive theme is Taco about dogs and cats. Go to www.heartofthecatskills.org to download your pledge form and start collecting today. So, again, I'm Katie. I'm here sitting down with Irwin Carl, who just led a whole bunch of folks on a mushroom foraging walk that started at your farm So, welcome, Erwin, and I am excited to hear more about many different components of what's going on today.
3: Oh, great. Well, thank you for having me on Heritage Radio Network. And um, yeah, it's uh, always a pleasure to open up the farm to guests. Um, It's not uncommon for artists and foodies to get together with farmers, and that's one of the things we like to foster at Cyclex Farm, but also in the region in general. I think you get um, upstate, downstate, and People who come up are often foodies, they're often from Brooklyn, but there's kind of an affinity network building up here. And as we have more events like this, I think, uh, you know, kind of a link is forged between the the two worlds.
1: And you're a wearer of many hats here locally, Erwin. You are also involved in local media. Can you tell us briefly about that?
3: Yeah, well, I'm uh, one of three hosts of a show called The Farm Hour on WIOX, and WIOX is a community radio station run by a nonprofit. We broadcast throughout the region at uh, FM at 91.3 and Delhi 107.5, but we also simulcast at WIOXradio.org and on uh, certain mobile apps. So uh, again, um, we start our coverage, often we'll uh, profile local farms or people doing value added stuff, but our listenership uh, actually includes a lot of people from downstate. Um, when I get feedback on the show, it's often people from Brooklyn and Manhattan more so than actual people who live up here. But uh, you know, we explore everything from you know, the farmers and what's going on farms. To foodies, but all the links in between, including food processing, small scale value added stuff. Um, Some of our guests are chefs or people who have written cookbooks. So the whole journey of the food from the seed in the soil to the plate in, you know, might be downstate, but uh, we cover all aspects of that journey and, you know, kind of the uh, Uh, international trends as well, but how that affects, you know, human health, uh, the connection with uh, our entire food supply.
1: So when we went this morning, we met at CycleX Farms, which is a great site for learning about mycology, but there's a lot of other stuff going on there. What is the story with CycleX?
3: Okay. um, Well, um, like a lot of farms here, it was a dairy farm from the mid-19th century, Until, well, probably the 1970s, around 1980, um, many of the dairy farms fell into disuse. There's really just a handful left, Um, but the properties have been repurposed. So, a lot we have a historical farmhouse from about 1850, a barn from 1950, but um, you have this infrastructure here. You also have a little bit of the tradition and the history that this was um for producing food of some sort so um we have uh guests uh resident artists and resident farmers who come up and basically one of our uh, concepts is land access so people who are land limited which could be down people from downstate living in an urban a suburban area but it also includes young people um people who are immigrants, veterans, other people for various reasons cannot necessarily buy or rent land. But um, you know, we do go through applications and you know, get ideas from people, and then we approve people to have one or two, three, or, or three acres for one, two, or three seasons uh, so they can learn and experiment and interact with other people on similar projects.
1: What are the criteria for how you go through applications and how can folks apply?
3: um let's see it's um we have a website i think it's cyclex.info and uh you can go to instagram or facebook and search for uh cyclex andes you have to have the andes in there otherwise you get all these bicycle stores (laughs) which are great too but also great farm yeah so um yeah it's um it the projects really vary in nature we have projects on composting living architecture Um, We have one couple that's worked the last two summers. They grow in a very, very small yard in Flatbush. So they, um, but because of the neighborhood there, they get seeds or requests from plants that are African or Caribbean, and they grow well in Zone 7. So they started um, applying some of the, you know, container and vertical gardening concepts, but trying out these uh, Caribbean spices that are from a very warm climate. And um, because we did raised beds and enriched soil, we found um, things like Guyanese spinach, they call it. Um, there's a citrus thyme. Uh, there's a broadleaf thyme. And they actually all did very well um, here. where are zone 5A. And um, the uh, plants were able to work here. And they also um, applied some of the different techniques. Mm-hmm. So I do things like I trim out the vegetative uh, branches on tomato plants but they actually trellised up the tomatoes to like seven eight feet in the air and exposing all the fruit to direct sunlight uh, our yield was amazing for a very small amount of soil so these concepts can be tested out it's a different region the sun exposure is different what are the different factors and you know do the techniques have to be altered or can you take some of these um. techniques that work in Zone Seven and use them up here,
1: right? And and just for anybody listening who might have heard Zone Five A and not necessarily know what that meant, I mean, this is a significantly colder climate even than Flatbush. Like, what's Brooklyn is probably? Do you know the zone?
3: It's mostly uh, seven. I think the city and Long Island is mostly Zone Seven. Yeah, um, and that's based on the. Uh, average, uh, the median temperatures at different times of year.
1: So this is a much shorter growing season up here.
3: Yeah. 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 And it could, we could get shut down. Uh, We're nearing September 1st. So I have had three nights of frost in a row in September. Last year was the opposite. We had summer like weather, September, October, and we actually got an extra two months in our growing season. So it's different every year, but there's going to be six to eight months of winter maybe. (laughs) So, well, I exaggerate, but yeah, the winter is like pretty, pretty <laughs> cold here. It could be snowy. Yeah. So a long downtime to process your, you know, your vegetables and stuff you have crated up in September when it's busy. You, you're canning, dehydrating, tincturing in the winter, and it can be a long winter. And people stop coming up after, you know, Columbus Day kind of. Stuff.
1: Uh, Well, I want to shift our conversation a little bit over to mushrooms and the kingdom of fungi, um, because that is, um, you know, that was obviously the theme of our gathering this morning, um, and you are an incredible wealth of knowledge on the subject. Um, But let's tie ourselves to this place. It's pretty special that we're here in the Catskills. Um, So can you give us a, a little bit of broad context about Mushrooms, both wild and mushroom cultivation in the Catskills?
3: Okay. Yeah, so, um, you know, different mushrooms are seeking out um, certain temperatures and humidities before they fruit. Um, some of them are specific to certain trees or certain soil types. But we are blessed in the Catskills that we have a lot of the host trees, um, two of the best medicinals like chaga and reishi, are going to tend tend to be on birch and hemlock. We have a lot of both. Um, we have a good water table, even when it's dry, as it has been for the last two months. There are streams and there are springs, so there are damp areas. Um, and then um, because we have a healthy ecosystem, we have forests where you have different healthy herbaceous plants in the understory. You have the different types of trees that certain desirable mushrooms are gonna grow near. Um, and then we have you know a good um, store of Uh, decaying wood, which is a whole uh, other class of mushrooms are going to grow on decaying wood. And so we have all those conditions present. So um, in terms of wildcrafting, you can find good um, edible and good medicinal mushrooms.
1: I was going to ask when you used the word desirable, Um, You know, what does that mean? Obviously, sometimes that means culinary. Mm. What else makes a mushroom desirable in the ecosystem?
3: Um, Well, with the exception of a few parasitic or pathogenic mushrooms, they're all good um, in terms of ecological services. They are helping trees and plants thrive or they're breaking down soil. But um, if you're out mushroom hunting with your basket and you're uh, devoting a certain amount of your time you probably want mushrooms that are edibles, good edibles, that have better tastes and textures. I mean, there's a lot that are, you know, edible that aren't that great. So um, you're going to be looking for the chanterelles more than you're looking for the metal mushroom, perhaps. Um, but there's just so many that have uh, medicinal properties. And in the broad classes, a lot of mushrooms have antiviral antibacterial properties. A lot of them are anti-inflammatory, but unlike uh, pharmaceuticals that are anti-inflammatories, instead of depressing the immune system, a lot of the healing mushrooms uh, modulate. So if you have a low immune response, it'll raise it up. But um, in cases of like autoimmune disease, it'll actually throttle back on the immune system. So you have um, a lot of mushrooms that have these broad categories of healing properties. And then if you really get into it and make tinctures and collect them, you start getting into the specifics of for uh, specific health problems or preventatively which species of mushrooms are going to be best. And um, we actually have a lot of the the, uh, species that you'd want to use for uh, preventive or healing uh, uses uh, are just abundant here in the Catskills and the Hudson Valley.
1: What are some good resources that people can look towards to learn about what they might find locally here?
3: Well, I would say um, mushroom clubs are um, present throughout the United States. The nearest one to here is in the Hudson Valley, the Mid-Hudson Mycological. And um, it's incredibly inexpensive, and all the hikes are free and open to the public. But if you're on the mailing list, you find out when and where the walks are, and you also have access to... Um, they're now online, but there's uh, lectures at least every month uh, during the winter. Um, but the main, you know, one of the main advantages of the club is that you go in the field with other people who are more experienced. So you could look at a video, you could look at a mushroom guide and get some information. But if somebody actually shows you that mushroom in the woods and they turn it over and they're like, well, you could mistake this for another, uh, species. But if you look for this little detail Mm -hmm. and when somebody points that out to you and you're in the woods where the mushroom grows, you really pick up so, you know, even subconsciously or consciously, you pick up quite a bit more information that you carry with you as you go on and, you know, experience.
1: And can you talk about what you were looking for today and what you found today? Is there anything that you hoped to find that might still be out there this weekend?
3: Um, yeah, well, um, it is very dry. So the mushrooms that grow out of soil, um, often they're growing near the roots of certain trees or plants, as well as ones that grow out of like uh, leaf litter. It's just so dry and dusty. Um, those were, you know, very sparse. But there's um, a whole category of mushrooms that grow out of rotting wood. And the rotting wood, especially if it's been decaying for a year or more, become sponge-like and uh, even a a heavy dew overnight which we do get most nights that rotting wood will wick up some moisture and um, there are certain species including some good edibles we found a chicken in the woods uh, some good medicinals like turkey tail you'll almost always be able to find if you just find rotting wood you can go near streams or springs if you know where they are and there's going to be more moisture in the uh, ecosystem so you're going to find some mushrooms. So you, you can always find something. Um, you know, we weren't able to fill a basket with chanterelles and that might not happen till next year if we have a rainier summer because it's dry, but, um, there's always something to see. And, um, you know, so we, we did go into some rotting wood and, um, also having 30 extra pairs of eyes. Um, you know, the people on the, in the group, uh, found stuff that I probably would have just, bypass because I'm thinking certain things. Oh, you know, what am I going to do to compensate for the dryness? But uh, everybody was looking and uh, found some great mushrooms.
1: That's awesome. Um, and, and what's out there. I mean, there is so much happening with uh, microcultures of growing mushrooms in, you know, lots of high tech environments. What sorts of opportunities are out there for people who are looking to build a career in, mycology or in, um, production or, or like just in the culinary sphere, I think there's so much opening up.
3: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, um, if, if you're have some land and you're involved in farming, you can, um, get really good mushrooms growing in low tech methods. So you can literally grow stropharia in wood chips and you're not only getting incredible mushrooms that are delicious. That a lot of people don't even know about, you're also creating soil. So if you're doing small scale farming, if you're trying to do permaculture and regenerative type farming, um, there's a lot of low-tech ways you can get mushrooms growing on your property and also improve your soil tilth at the same time. The next step up is commercial farming for mushrooms. So um, if you have a medium-sized farm with a woodlot, you can grow, mushrooms in logs. So it's a little more work and you need a, uh, just a few uh, specialized tools, but you can um, have enough mushrooms that if you're already going to a farmer's market, you can uh, harvest shiitakes, oysters, lion's mane, um, off logs uh, someplace on your farm with you now having to build any infrastructure. So the next step up is commercial where you have an indoor grow operation. So you have a lot more requirements. So to grow indoors, you have to um, uh, sterilize a rich grow medium. It could be straw, a lot of times it's sawdust uh, or different grains, but um, because it's richer, you're more prone to contamination. So you have to do sterilization. And then you're also growing in an indoor space where you can sterilize the space. Um, You have non-porous walls and ceilings. And you're also controlling temperature and humidity. And even when they fruit out, sometimes you want a little indirect light uh, to hit those mushrooms. So um, people have done that locally out of garages or old barns, but um, there's a lot of companies that are getting quite large that are doing that on a large scale, like small holds in Brooklyn Navy Yard Mm -hmm. there. They've expanded, I think, to Texas and California there. They might be one of the larger ones in the country. Um, but there's, uh, you know, probably closer to the markets, if you're growing mushrooms in Brooklyn, you can deliver to restaurants more easily than you could if you built something in the Hudson Valley and had to drive to the city. So, um, you know, some of that work is, um, there, there's some, you know, tedious work involved because you have to sterilize sawdust and put it in thousands of plastic bags and then seal them. Um, but, you'll also be learning. So if you get involved in a commercial grow operation, you'll learn about the different species, what can go right, what can go wrong. And if they're growing around you, you're also probably able to take them home, cook with them, make tinctures if they're Mm -hmm. medicinal. And um, so you're experiencing the mushrooms after having helped them grow. So there's kind of a whole synergy in the experience of growing and working with the mushrooms.
1: I'm curious about you personally. Do you have a recollection? Like, what was the first the first memory you have where you had an inkling that you might have a future career in mycology?
3: Um, pretty late. Like most people, I um, learned almost nothing about fungi in high school science. Um, I was, uh, you know, with my family, I was doing livestock, produce, and then I was also gathering uh, plants in the forest uh, that were food and medicine for a lot of years. And so I was seeing mushrooms, but I wasn't really reaching out. But um, uh, about 10 or 12 years ago, I started trying to identify mushrooms, and I found some of the medicinal ones, started making tinctures. And then I met John from Catskill Fungi and found out he was making tinctures uh, for medicinal purposes with some of the same species and he actually um devoted himself full-time to building a business so i've worked with him so i helped him with cultivation and but education is a large part of the business so um i guess you know working with catskill fungi and then joining the mid-hudson mycological and being involved as a walk leader um and engaging other people and seeing like oh i can i'm qualified to lead a walk but half the people on the walk know more species so they're Mm -hmm. you know teaching me stuff so it's Uh, really kind of interacting with other people and interacting with the fungi it's you know when those two things start happening you're you know you go up the learning curve rapidly and then you realize like wow there's this fascinating world out there that's all around me and I'm finally aware of it right so it's you know takes a couple stages but yeah there's there is a a point where you're like wow this is you know just mind-blowing that this there's so much going on around me that I'm finally aware of.
1: Yeah, um, and then for people who have um, traveled here this weekend or who are thinking about making a trip out this way, um, you, what's your vision of your perfect day in the Catskills around this area of Andes Bavina?
3: Um, well, if we had could go back in time two days ago, it would have started raining and <laughs> it would rain. A slow, steady rain for two days, and um, you know the porcini and the chanterelles would be exploding because the mycelium is there under the you know soil or under the leaf litter all year round, and um, they're waiting for that moisture to soak in so they can produce those mushrooms or the fruiting bodies that we like. And when there is a drought, it's almost like they're waiting, waiting, waiting. So if they do get that uh, heavy rain it'll almost be like an explosion and you'll go out and there'll be areas in the forest where you'll just walk past a tree and you'll look and there'll be hundreds of mushrooms that weren't there yesterday. And they like literally sprouted up overnight. And, um, you know, if those are the real tasty ones, then that, that's, a, you know, a good day in the woods.
1: Awesome. <laughs> and where can people sign up to go for a walk with you?
3: Um, catskill fungi, um, website, has, um, yeah does the scheduling, the booking, and you can learn about three-day workshops, uh, cultivation workshops. So all, all the things we offer are described there.
1: Awesome. Well, Erwin, thank you so much. I really, really hope everybody listening will come out here, come for a walk because uh, in this very short interview time, there is no way we can begin to cover the incredible topic of foraging locally here in the Catskills, um, but I hope that they'll come back and join you in person.
3: Yeah, I mean, if you come and see the woods, even if you don't find anything, you'll you know get a taste and you'll be drawn to come back, and you know over the rest of your life, it might be a a learning experience that you know continues and you know grows.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to being back, and it's such a pleasure to meet you today. Thank you again oh, for hosting th- us.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it.
1: Um, And thanks so much for joining us. This is HRN's first annual Catskills Field Day. We couldn't have done it without our many partners. Special thanks to Putt-Putt Van Winkle, Edible New York, Wadler Brothers, Wolfer Estate, Isolation Proof, Upward Brewing, Black Diamond Cider, and Bread Alone. You can check out more episodes of HRN on tour along with our full lineup of shows at heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. HRN on Tour is powered by Simplecast. This episode of HRN on Tour was produced in part by generous funding from the Julia Child Foundation.